Radio. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Should the Boston Marathon bomber get life or death? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, some of you may be wondering, why are we talking about the Boston Marathon bomber? Uh, You know, it seemed like that was all... um, done and taken care of. His trial was in, he was convicted in 2015, and the Boston Marathon bombing was on April 15th, 2013. The bomber that we're talking about is um, Johar Sarnayev, the younger brother. He was 19 years old at the time of the bombing. And, um, you know, he, so why are, why is he in the news again? Perhaps you heard about it, if you did, uh, it was just a mere blip in the news, and um, this was a very fascinating trial, and he is a very fascinating guy when you really look into his uh, into his background. Um, at the time, he was kind of, now I don't want you to think that I'm necessarily, uh, you know, feeling sorry for him, although I guess to some degree I am, but he was a terrorist, <laughs> and um, and he did... He did participate in the bombing that killed three people and injured more than 260. So this was the second um, most, second worst terror attack since 9-11. So obviously, um, you know, and he is incarcerated in Colorado in a maximum security prison. um, And that's not going to change. But the news is that um, his, a U.S., a court of appeals has just overturned the death sentence for him um, and has ordered a new penalty phase trial. So they vacated the death sentence on um, counts four, five, nine, 10, and 14. And they uh, remanded the case back to the district court with directions to hold a new penalty phase trial. So this is the question we're going to be looking at today. Should he get life or death? Um, Should he, in other words, keep right now, death was taken off the table. So should he keep the life sentences? He has more than one life sentence. He's not getting out. Should he keep those or should they have another trial, a death penalty trial? And should he get the death penalty again? Now, there are various reasons why one might think um, one or the other. 
in order to get the death penalty again, he would have to have this trial. And um, the to, to so that he would be convicted, you know, or sentenced to the death penalty again, at least once. <laughs> and uh, so why would that be the right thing to do? Well, one, because he's a terrorist. There was no question that he had terrorist motives. Uh, secondly, as I said, it was the second worst attack after 9-11. He killed three people and injured more than 260. It was a, it was a major attack. And um, if he got the death penalty, he would have no more enjoyment of life to the extent that one can enjoy it in a maximum security prison. He still has the gift of life, whatever that entails. And for him, uh, that includes actually having women, women uh, fans, women who are, um, you know, fans of his, um, sending him love letters and, and you know, being, they, they came to his trial. There were lots of women who were um, very attracted to him. So, you know, there's some pleasure in his life, uh, even being in a maximum security prison. He can do different activities. He can write. He can do various things. Okay. So that would be, you know, so taking, does he deserve that? Um, do, does he deserve the benefits of being alive? So if you don't think so, then yes, we should have another trial and uh, for the penalty phase, and he should be convicted yet again, at least once, of getting the death penalty. Now, what about not giving him the death penalty? That could happen if the prosecutors just agree to not have another trial and to just uh, go along with the current um, convictions and sentences. And again, the um, court, the U.S. Court of Appeals made it very clear that even though they overturned the death sentence, um, he is, there's no way that he is going to get out of the prison. So um, why might there be a reason to not pursue the death penalty again and to just leave it as is, just life in prison, several life in prison sentences? Well, for one thing, um, he, it was his older brother who was the mastermind. Um, giving him a death sentence would give him martyr status as a terrorist. Um, having a, another trial to try to reinstate the death penalty would mean that it would open the wounds of people, the victims, the victims and their families, um, of the, uh, bombing. And, um, it would be very painful for them. And some of them would have to testify again. And, um, the bomber would get, uh, publicity again, you know, which also, um, is a is used by uh, Al Qaeda and ISIS and um, other terrorist organizations to try to promote terrorism, to promote lone wolves, to do to follow what he did. Um, so there are reasons pro and con for having a uh, a new trial, a new death pen a new penalty phase trial. So while you know, as I continue talking about things, reminding you about. Uh, the the attack and about who he was particularly, um, you can think about these things and what you would what you would do if you were a prosecutor and it was up to you to decide whether you wanted to um, bring another trial 
in order to pursue the death penalty again or not. So let's look at why it was overturned, why the death penalties for those counts were overturned. Um, his, uh, uh, Johar's attorneys uh, appealed to this First Circuit Court of Appeals uh, in December 2019. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't hear about that at that time. Just heard about it now. It's all been kind of quiet. But anyhow, they said that the death penalty should be thrown out because he didn't receive a fair trial. And they mentioned a number of things that um, actually, you know, that worked, that proved to the um, Court of Appeals that in fact he didn't receive a fair trial. So, one of the things that they said was that uh, it should never have been in Boston. And in fact, at the time of the trial in 2015, they did make that case. They did um, make a motion, you know, for why it shouldn't be, the trial shouldn't be held in Boston, especially it was held downtown. It was held right near where the actual bombing was. So needless to say, um, I mean, all of Boston and really all of America was distraught at this bombing. And um, how could it not, um, how could it not influence the jurors? Well, I mean, you could make, a, you could say, well, you know, where in Massachusetts could the trial be held that it wouldn't influence them? All of Massachusetts certainly was very much impacted emotionally by the bombing. But being in the center of Boston, right near where the bombing took place, was, of course, the worst place that it could be held. Now, the other part, another reason why um, these attorneys, his attorneys, argued that this wasn't a fair trial was that the judge didn't allow evidence in about his brother, his brother, his older brother, Tamerlan, um, who was really the mastermind, and that was part of the defense for Johar, was that it was really his brother. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you something about the family, and you will see that had Johar been left to his own devices, he really, it is very unlikely that he would have done, certainly not uh, the Boston Marathon attack, and, and even questionable as to whether he would have done any attack. So we'll talk about that a little later. But um, the brother actually had been on a watch list or it was kind of it's very muddy waters in terms of just how much um, the Soviet Union reported about him or Chechnya, um, you know, how much information they gave to U.S. counterterrorism authorities. But there was... Um, there was enough that had been communicated or enough. There was also a question about whether the brother had been involved in a murder. And so these kinds of things were not allowed into the trial of um, Johar. And as part of the, his attorneys wanting to prove that it was really the older brother who was the mastermind and all of the bad things that the older brother did. So that was another thing. But most importantly, um, probably what the uh, Court of Appeals may have considered most offensive that the judge in the original trial didn't do was um, to question the jurors better, more in depth 
to show that um, really they were biased before the trial began. Now, when the when um, Joe Har's attorneys, uh, Joe Har's attorneys, uh, didn't win the motion to move the trial out of Boston, the judge had said that he was going to do uh, an even greater in-depth questioning of the jurors than he would have done in a normal case um, to just to make doubly sure that the jurors were not biased because it was being held in Boston in the center near the site of the attack. And in fact, what happened was he didn't. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about um, some really outrageous um, social media posts two of the jurors posted and that and who denied this in the questioning who wanted to be on the jury and really wanted to be on the jury because they already had made up their mind and wanted to make sure that um Johar was going to get not only convicted but presumably going to get the death penalty so when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, these two jurors. One of them was a, the, became the foreperson and what they were writing on social media. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about the uh, revisiting, actually, the Boston Marathon bombing with the question, should the Boston Marathon bomber, meaning Johar Sarnayev, the younger brother, should he get life or death? This question is being asked again. <laughs> Uh, even though he was convicted and sentenced in 2015 because uh, an appeals court just overturned the charges that for which he got the death penalty. So I'm asking you to put yourself in the place of a prosecutor and decide whether you would want to uh, have another trial and try to get the death penalties reinstated or whether you would just go along with keeping uh, the several several uh, sentences of life in prison uh, for which he would never get out anyway. So um, the interesting part is that, um, and that's where we left off, the, it's so interesting that now um, Twitter posts and other social media posts need to be considered, you know, when you when you do voir dire before a trial starts, um, uh, and as you know, probably if you've been listening to uh, other podcasts of mine, I sometimes mention that I, my day job is as a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness. So I find all of this particularly interesting. Um, and when you do voir dire at the beginning, when you ask, that's when you ask the, the attorneys on both sides, get a chance to ask the jury questions because um, you are trying to root out any juror who might be biased against your client, if you're the defense attorney. I mean, depending upon which sides you're on, you want to try to find jurors, of course, who are going to be more sympathetic to your side um, rather than the opposing side. So 
and they have to jurors have to fill out or potential jurors have to fill out forms um, where they ask about uh, you know different things about their life that could potentially provide bias and then also they are uh, asked questions in open court as well or not necessarily open but in in court face to face um, so as I was starting to say it turned out that two jurors at least uh, were biased and they had proof of this um, when they made the appeal because there were posts you know <laughs> they had the actual posts from social media um, and so one of the jurors who went on to become the jury four person had published two dozen tweets in the wake of the bombings. Um, one post after this brother's younger brother's capture called him a quote piece of garbage. Um, he, she said that she was locked down, quote unquote, locked down with her family during the manhunt and retweeted another post calling him a piece of garbage. And later she told the court that she hadn't commented on the case or been asked to sh shelter in place. So she lied. Bottom line, she lied. And, you know, so why do jurors lie? Well, I mean, this was a very high profile case. It was an exciting case. Clearly this juror had, um, you know, she had already made up her mind about him and she wanted to be on the jury and wanted to be four person to be able to direct the results of the trial um, very strongly against him, clearly being on the side of the death penalty. Um, then also a juror on the day of his sentencing, a juror changed her Facebook uh, profile picture to a picture that said Boston Strong, which had been the rallying cry that was used after the bombing. So, um, you know, the appeals, the, um, the attorneys for Johar had um, told, asked the appeals court or showed all this to the appeals court uh, and said that the judge of the original trial should have asked m m deeper questions, you know, either should have dismissed these jurors, you know, um, and should have at least asked them follow-up questions after these posts came to light. So, you know, this was fairly convincing evidence that um, he had received an unfair trial. And that is why we are where we are right now. So, um, but what this means for trials in general is that it's not enough to ask potential jurors, what newspapers do you read? What television shows do you watch? You know, to see whether they were biased, but also to ask them about their social media presence. What blogs do you look at? What posts have you written? Um, you know, these are things now that uh, defense attorneys and prosecutors have to pay attention to, which really, you know, I mean, in a way it's good because it's evidence if it's still there, if they haven't, if they, if they haven't um, deleted their posts, you know, and it's still there, then it's very helpful to show the bias of potential jurors. But if they... Um, Certainly, they could have deleted them, um, or in the future, jurors can delete them if they have a certain axe to grind. So, um, uh, 
the appeals court decided that they were going to reverse uh, convictions on charges that Johar was carrying a firearm in connection with his possession of a pressure cooker bomber. And, um, and just to remind you, um, Johar was 19 at the time that he and his brother Tamerlan, who was 26, went to the finish line of the uh, Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013, as I said. And remember there was video, you know, we watched that video um, many times, right? Showing the brothers carrying the pressure cooker bombers in backpacks. And Tamerlan first uh, set off a bomb. It was a pressure cooker that contained gunpowder and nails and BBs. And that bomb killed uh, Campbell, a 29-year-old restaurant manager, and permanently injured several other people who lost their legs. Then um, Johar was carrying the second pressure cooker bomber that went off 12 seconds later and killed two people, a little boy, an eight-year-old boy, and um, named, um, what was his name? Um, Martin Richard, and a girl, um, a graduate student from China named um, Lingzi Liu. Um, and uh, Tamerlan's uh, bomb killed um, Christy Campbell. So clearly, I mean, it's amazing that only three people were killed, but obviously <laughs> devastating for the families of these three people. But, um, but as I said, more than 260 people were injured. So this was a, a major, major terrorist attack. Um, so now, what do we know about um, Johar? Uh, he was basically, one of the things that's interesting about him is that he is an example of um, other people who become terrorists, <laughs> um, people who come to the United States with looking at the planning to go for the American dream, looking at this as the land of opportunity, um, you know, not coming here with the idea of becoming a terrorist, and then having one disappointment after the other, and ultimately being easy to influence, to radicalize. Uh, and that, unfortunately, I mean, his story is really kind of the classic story of, of, a, of a terrorist that this happens to. Um, he came to the United States with his family. With, he, he and his parents came to the United States. Um, he was of Chechen descent. He moved to Russia with his family when he was eight years old. Then he came to the United States. Um, and he, ironically, he came to the United States on a tourist visa, and then his family claimed asylum during their stay in 2002. And he became a naturalized United States citizen on September 11th. 2012. There's irony for you. Um, 
And he actually, whereas the older brother was always kind of seen to have problems, uh, the older brother and two of the, his uh, two of the sisters of the family were left um, in this in the Soviet Union or in that area um, when the parents came with um, uh, Johar uh, originally, and so the older brother never quite fit in, even though when he came, when the older brother came, he did um, excel in boxing. And his dream was to become an Olympic boxer. And he wanted to fight for the United States. I mean, he wanted to be, he wanted to represent the United States in the Olympics. And various things happened that uh, that dream was quashed. And that was when he uh, turned against the United States. And he was always the, um, he was always the biggest influence on his younger brother, on Johar. Uh, in fact, you know, a teacher, a coach said that Johar uh, followed after his older brother like a little puppy dog. Well, when we come back, I will tell you more about the family. It's very, very, very dysfunctional family, um, really, that had something to do with where they came from. But really, really, um, it could have been a, an American, uh, a native-born American dysfunctional family. I mean, the same kinds of problems happen in people who are born in America. So, I mean... Yes, were there additional problems coming as an immigrant? Yes, of course. But um, some of the problems, as you will hear, are things that happen to American families who started off being born in America. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. And welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about should the Boston Marathon bomber get life or death? Talking about how his death sentences were uh, just overturned. And uh, the question is, are prosecutors going to have a retrial for the penalty phase and try to get to the death death sentences or a death sentence, at least you only need one, uh, try to get one through a, a new trial. So, you know, as I was starting to say, um, it's really, he, his life is really fascinating. We're talking about the younger brother, Johar, um, who was 19 at the time of the Boston Marathon bombing under the influence of his older brother, Tamerlan, who was 26. And, um, you know, so there are things in his, in his background, and I'm going to give you some highlights, um, but there are things in his background that would really make you feel kind of uh, sorry for him and make you think, oh, well, he wouldn't have become a terrorist or he wouldn't have done a bombing like that um, were he not under his older brother's influence? And I actually think that that's true, but, uh, you know, he wasn't, <laughs> it's not that he didn't have any, um, what, 
terrorist thoughts or any, it's not that he was, you know, completely innocent and he would have gone, <laughs> gone on to, I don't know what, um, <laughs> rescue puppies or something if, uh, if they hadn't done the bombing. But in fact, um, when during questioning, and at first he wasn't read his Miranda rights, there were a number of things that kind of weren't right, really, in his capture and his um, trial. Oh, and by the way, in case, just to remind you, um, his older brother was killed during the manhunt. And one of the things that's really interesting about that is um, the question as to how the older brother was killed, whether it was the police or whether it was, uh, well, I mean, there were gunshots from the police, but then also uh, it, the evidence showed that, that Johar, uh, in trying to escape from the ambush that the police, um, where the police attacked them, uh, his, so his brother got shot, the older brother got shot, and Johar got back in the car and, or stayed in the car and, um, and, and drove away and drove over his brother, which is really fascinating from a psychiatric point of view. Um, I think that that would, sh that, I mean, yes, you could say, oh, well, he just wanted to get away. He was trying to save his own butt, <laughs> save his own skin, um, you know, and, and it was too late to help his brother, and so he just got away. But, and, and maybe that's true, but also unconsciously, at the very least, did he resent his brother for all of the, for, for ruining his dream? for ruining Johar's dream for changing, and I'll tell you how the brother changed um, after the brother's dream was squashed. Um, it does, does Johar blame his brother for, um, for, getting, for getting them into this mess, for getting him, indoctrinating him into terrorist um, beliefs and getting him to go along with this Boston Marathon plot? I think the answer to that is yes. Um, consciously or unconsciously, yes. He was purposely running over his brother or unconsciously running over his brother. Anyhow, um, so um, one of the things that um, Johar, so that's why we're not talking about, uh, about the older brother. He's, he, he was gone from the picture early on during the manhunt. So um, uh, jo Johar, Told when after he was caught, he told during questioning, he told um, the authorities that he and his brother next planned to detonate explosives in Times Square. So they had a whole plan going on, you know, this wasn't just, just the Boston Marathon. So it's a good thing they were caught for many reasons. Um, now in, in 2002, when, um, when Johar was nine, uh, the Sarnayev, Sarnayev parents and Johar came to the United States on a 90-day tourist visa, and then the father applied for asylum, uh, citing his fears of persecution back in his ties, because of his ties to Chechnya, and he got asylum, and then they brought over the rest of the family. And um, so, so again, as I was saying earlier, the family had, you know, were planning to go after the American dream, but it wasn't so easy. Um, they were constantly, you know, on the verge of poverty. In fact, they did 
uh, received welfare benefits for much of the time. The father worked as a backyard mechanic. The mother worked as a cosmetologist, but then she lost her job because she um, eventually, as she got more into um, the religion, becoming, becoming more radical, she refused to work in a business that served men. And so she started, um, she worked as a cosmetologist at their home. And then, um, and, you know, the friends, um, so as, as I was saying, the older brother, you know, never quite fit in. Uh, fortunately, he did have this talent as a boxer, and he did really rise within the ranks, um, and that's why it was possible that um, he could have gone to the Olympics. I mean, that wasn't unrealistic for the older brother to think that he could have made the Olympics, and he wanted to be, a, um, be on the team of the U.S., but... Um, but he, uh, he he wasn't very likable, and he was really always an outcast. And at some point, somebody um, reported him to the authorities in boxing and said that he had problems, you know, and as I was mentioning before about that there were these questions um, from his um, from his, about his background and about his politics and, um, you know, whether he could have some terrorist leanings or I don't know, just, or just from mainly from where he came from. Um, there were just questions. And even though he, it wasn't clear whether he was ever, um, ever actually on a formal watch list, but there were certainly questions about him. And at the time that this came up, the um, boxing league had said that, um, you know, for the Olympics that you had to have been born in America. So, um, so, or at least, um, or at least be a citizen and, uh, and his, the older brother's citizenship was held up because of these questions about his background. But anyhow, going back to the younger brother, um, uh, Johar, he was, everybody liked him. He was very popular. And um, in fact, when the, when the Boston bombing happened um, and some people started you know, w watching the videos on television and some people st started mentioning that, the guy, that guy in the video looks like Johar and they were saying, oh no, it couldn't have been Johar because there was no way that he ever gave um, the impression that he would have done something like that. And in fact, some of his friends went to his apartment uh, while the manhunt was going on, and they they found things that would have implicated him, and they took them out, and they threw, they tried to hide them, uh, they tried to protect him. That's how well liked he was, and he was um, uh, Johar was a wrestler. He did very well in wrestling, and he got a scholarship to college, and but he wasn't doing so well in college. Um, this was at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. So at the time of the of the bombings, that they went ahead with the bombings, um, he was basically flunking out of school, and he didn't have any money. He owed twenty thousand dollars to the college. Um, his brother, uh, older brother, had um, married, gotten married by that point, but he wasn't working anymore. The older brother, he was uh, his wife was supporting him. And he, uh, both because of his, oh, and at some point before the bombing, 
um, his parents got divorced. Their, their parents got divorced. And they went back to um, Chechnya or the Soviet Union. And um, so they weren't around. And his mother, at a certain time, his mother, their mother, and their mother was kind of a character. She was, uh, she, she became very Americanized. She was wearing, she would go around in hot heels and, and uh, you know, she was a cosmetologist, so makeup was important to her and so on. And um, she was, uh, you know, so she was, at some point, she um, started getting into becoming radicalized. And uh, the older brother had met a friend who um, was radicalizing him. And, and the mother fav favored the older brother. So nobody was really there. For, and the father had gone back um, to the old country. And nobody was really there anymore for Johar. Um, except all his friends, and he he was um, he was very good in wrestling, and um, he you know he wishes afterwards he said he wished that he had continued working in that. Uh, yes, the mother I was saying the mother wore stylish jeans, high heels, and short skirts, and she had tattooed eyebrows, permanent makeup, very glamorous. <laughs> um, and early on in their life, people who knew them said. I mean, early on in their life in America, people who knew them said that um, they were a very cuddly family, that they were very, that there was a lot of love and, um, and, and you know, it was a very, very good family. But as things got harder, as it was harder to make money, as they had to be on uh, public assistance for a long time, as even that was making it hard, and then at the end, um, right before they perpetrated the attack, his brother lost his, he was, um, Johar, when he wasn't at college, would live with his brother and the brother's wife, and the, they had a baby, and, um, but they lost their Section 8 housing, and so they were going to have to move from the, from the home that the family had lived in since they came to America. It was a small home, you know, but it was their home, <laughs> and, um, and now they had to move. So, um, so, and um, the younger brother, Johar, had planned on being, he wanted to either be an engineer or a, um, a dentist, <laughs> kind of seems, or he had all of, the, or a nurse. He had different aspirations, but college turned out to be harder than he'd expected. He didn't like the college that he was at. Uh, he, he had to leave his friends behind that it was in a different area and he had to leave all his friends behind while he was at school. So he was basically lost. The, the younger brother was lost while the older brother had become radicalized. The parents were in back in the old country and um, basically um, Johar was feeling like he had nothing left to lose, like he, his dreams were squashed, just like the older brother's dreams were squashed, and just like his parents' dreams were squashed. Now, I am not saying that, um, you know, I, <laughs> they could have gotten other dreams, they could have, I, I'm not saying uh, that it's anybody's fault other than, um, other than themselves, but this is what, this is a, a, a this is the kind of thing that happens 
and that makes people then start thinking about, as these two brothers did, what the United States was doing in the Middle East. And, you know, it is true. I mean, I know there are going to be some of you thinking, what? She is feeling sorry for this guy who killed three people and, and, uh, and injured over 260 of them. It's not that I'm feeling sorry for him, but I think that we can learn from this. Um, the danger signs, the warning signs, and maybe reach out to people before they are in a vulnerable position to be radicalized. So you decide, if you were a prosecutor, would you go for the death penalty or would you be satisfied with life in prison? Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.